So last August, uh, my wife Pam and I uh, went to a, a gathering of people and connected with some friends of ours that were part of our community of faith in Boise, Idaho 27 years ago, and we've stayed close friends for 27 years. And so we gathered with them, and we were spending the day with them, and they said, oh, by the way, at this gathering is going to be this other couple. You'll probably remember them 27 years ago. You knew them, and, and they're here too, and we just wanted you to know they're here so that when you see them, you'll recognize them and remember who they are. I said, well, that's great. Thanks for the warning. And so, so we were actually at a table eating, and sure enough, they came up, and they came up to our friends and started to talk to them, and us understanding who they were now just said, hey, it's so good to see you, and 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 like we had known them for, and we, were, we asked about their kids and how things were going, and obviously they remembered us because they asked us about our kids, and we rehearsed history, and, and so when they left, I, Pam and I turned to each other and said, wow, I'm glad they warned us. He said, I wouldn't have recognized them. They look so much older. <laughs> to which our friend began to, to chuckle. He said, what's up? He said, well, when they walked up and you said hi to them, the husband leaned over to my friend and said, who are those people? And he told them who we were, and he said, I would have never recognized them. (laughs) Awkward. (laughs) You think that's awkward? Listen to this. John, a follower of Jesus, wrote, in the beginning, the Word already existed, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, for God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. So the Apostle John announces that the creator, he calls him the word, has shown up on earth. And this is what happened when he showed up. John continues and says this, he came into this very world he created, but the world, what? Didn't recognize him. They said, who is this? Except there were some. Some, that there was some clue, there was something, there was some, some, something that said, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is God, he's here. And John describes what it is. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, so he came disguised in skin. And here's how we knew. We have seen his glory, the glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The clear marker that God is anywhere is his glory. So let me describe to you, this is, this is my description, as I've studied the scriptures, what I think the glory is. It is a present awareness of an otherworldly power. And, and in fact, you could use the word holy there because the, the word holy is as base means other. It's just other. It's an otherworldly power that we cannot control. And because we can't control it and because it's so otherworldly, it creates fear but at the same time, a craving that says, I've got to be there because I was created to be in that place, in that glory. And John said, we had never seen it before, but we saw it in this one place, and we saw that glory in Jesus, the one we have called the Word. And that's why we've been spending these last weeks going through 100 readings called The Essential Jesus, describing who Jesus is. Do we really understand who he is? We want to encourage you to continue doing that. If you you haven't grabbed one of the books called The Essential Jesus, stop by the media desk. They're $10. It'll take us up to Easter. We're doing 
Uh, we're doing 20 weeks of five readings a week, and this week you're going to be reading 56 through 60, and then the following week, 61 through 65. It's going to deal with this power, this presence, this, this, this thing that, that we call the glory of God. And if you don't have the money for that, just tell them you'd like it as a gift. We're going to give it to you because we want you to join with us in that reading. So John says this, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus and learn to see the living God. Look at Jesus and learn to see the living God. And John says, so let me tell you the first time we began to understand that this was the Son of God, this was the glory of God. When, when Pam and I got married 38, over 38 years ago, we got married in the Midwest holiness culture. And so we got married in a church. We went to a church fellowship hall. And there were no toasts. There wasn't a DJ. There was no buffet. There was no father of the bride and bride dance. There, there was no electric slide. There was no dollar dance. There was no chicken dance. There was, there was boring. The head table simply was there for people to stare at the bride and groom as they ate homemade finger sandwiches and drank red punch. It was so exciting. <laughs> so totally different than what Jesus encountered when he went to that wedding. Jesus entered into this wedding and there was this one week long celebration with plenty of food, plenty of wine, and plenty of dancing, except... In reality, there wasn't plenty of wine. Halfway through the wedding, they discovered that they ran out of wine, and these people did not prepare well. This would be such a social disgrace of, of such incredible magnitude that the shame would carry on in the life of this married couple until they died. This was a small village. This was Cana of Galilee. Everybody was there, and everybody knew. And they would talk about it for years to come. You remember when Joshua and Abigail did not have enough wine? Losers. <laughs> Jesus' family was there, and, and understanding the magnitude of this disgrace, Jesus' mother said to them these words. The wine supply ran out during the festivity, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. And Jesus said, dear woman, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Jesus asked the question, why should I be involved? Don't you understand? It's not time for everybody to know who, I'm really, who I really am. Why should I be involved? And Mary's, Mary's question just basically says, why shouldn't you be involved? And Jesus would describe later that he only does what his father tells him to do. And obviously, his father wanted him to do that. And Mary sensed it because Jesus did it. At this wedding, there were these six rather large jars that would hold about 150 gallons. And you put that down into bottles, about 800 bottles. So they had been filled with water because if you all would come to the wedding... If we had a wedding today and you're invited in that culture, you would show up and then out of this water, we would then cleanse you. We would take you through a purification process before the wedding would take place. 
So they needed to have plenty of water. So the jars had been full of water and people had been cleansed and now they're celebrating. Jesus says, I want you to fill the water back into, or those jars back with water. And I want you to dip into one of those jars and pour it into a cup and take it to the master of ceremonies, the guy that's in charge of all of this. And somewhere in that process, when that liquid touched his lips, he said, this is the best wine ever. John describes it this way, when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. And the host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign of Canaan and Galilee was the first time, the first time, the first time that Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. The first time there was a present awareness of an otherworldly power that they knew they couldn't control and would even create fear, but yet they craved him. They said, God is here because we've seen his glory. So please understand, we're going to talk about miracles this morning and understand that the chief aim of a miracle is to abide in God's glory. See, it's never just about the miracle. It's it's not about making more wine. Hey, let's take this on the road. We could really do well with water into wine. It's not about healing tents. It's not about six-month-long revivals. It is not about coliseums full of people falling over in some circus atmosphere. It's not about my miracle. It's always, always, always about Jesus' glory. Jesus' presence says there is nothing that love can do that love will not do. And so Jesus shows up, and God is speaking, reminding us that no matter what our pain, no matter what our fear, the fear of a catastrophic social faux pas or a cardiac condition, Jesus is saying by his presence in that miracle, I'm here, it's all right. Miracles tell us that he is here and it's all right. So if that's the case, if we see one, what does it do in us? Well, we say, well, let's have more miracles. Let's do some more of these things and then people will be attracted. It'll be a great thing. But I want to remind you the problem with that is, according to our definition, that the glory of God is is, is a present awareness of an other godly power that we can't control. So several years ago, Pam and I were visiting in another part of the, of the country and it happened to be close to where there was a, a really well-recognized revival taking place. And it started with some miracles in a local church and every night there were more miracles and it grew and grew and grew and grew and finally they moved into a bigger venue and, and people were coming from not only across the country but they were coming from around the world to this thing and then television moved in and said, we're gonna broadcast this thing for four hours a night and they were doing it and I gotta tell you, there were miracles happening. But while we're there, we became very aware that that they're going to run into a problem. And the problem is this, that now they're scheduled to have four hours of TV every night, which means they had two hours of worship, and now they had to have two hours of preaching and miracles because people were coming for miracles and need to see miracles. We've got to have miracles. And the problem is this, 
that revivals stop when, we, when the revival starts to control itself. Because what if the glory of God says, tonight I want no miracles? What do you do with the extra two hours? And suddenly we begin to manipulate and control the very thing that God said you cannot control. I've shared this story in, in, in pieces of it in the past. I share it with you again this morning. At one time in our lives, I got laid off from my job. And, and, and we had no income. And I wasn't making enough money. And it was Pam and me. And, and we had two, two kids at that time. And, and so we didn't know what to do. And I'm trying to find extra work and, and, and still minister at this church because I felt like God still wanted me to do that. And, and, and we're not making it work. So we're praying and we're praying and we're praying. And, and every time I work, I tithe because, I, because we truly believe that the tithe is a declaration, Lord, you're in charge of this, including our money. And you can make the 90% go much further than the 100% if I'm holding on to it. And, and so, so God was taking care of us, but it just, we just saw some bills coming that were just, just crazy. We're praying for a miracle. And then one day I went to the mailbox and I got this letter from the IRS. I thought, great, now I'm going to owe them, which is fine because, you know, they can garnish my wages if they can find them. <laughs> but to our surprise, the IRS had written us and saying, you know, you, you paid way too much money, this whatever, whenever it was. And we just went through your, your stuff and said, You've so here's a check. And it paid our mortgage. We said, we've seen a miracle because when, when God sends the IRS to pay your mortgage, that's water into wine right there. You've got it. So, so, so our faith built. We said, that's great. Well, the problem is that the mortgage came due the next month. Again, it's funny how that works. And, and I didn't have a job. And the IRS didn't come through that month. And I said, God, what are you doing? You promised, and, 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 and it's, it's not happening. And I had to begin to understand that miracles are not there just to get rid of my stress. Those jars in that first miracle were jars of purification. And Jesus said, not only will they be purification, but I'm going to use them for transformation. Miracles will bring purification. But Jesus says, I want to use them primarily for transformation. Because you see a miracle, you say, God is here, and God says, I am here, and it, and it just impacts you, and it changes your life, and you say, I want to be with you, and God purifies us, but he doesn't just purify us and cleanse us so that we're, we're qualified to receive his blessings so that the genie in the bottle will give us three more wishes. The transformation is understanding that what he just announced is that my glory is here with you. And that it's going to be okay. I'm here. That transformation is when I'm at peace because he is in control no matter what I see or don't see. That Jesus is saying by that miracle that I have seen, he is saying to, to me that now that you've seen a miracle, can you still trust me when I don't give you another one? 
Because it's the same God, it's the same glory. Can you abide in what you now know? Jesus had been teaching from a boat. And the crowds had gotten so large that when he was done teaching, he said to the guys, let's just keep going to the other side of the lake because if I get off here, I'm going to get mobbed. So they start across the lake, and as is well known around those parts of the Sea of Galilee, that when a cold front can come through, the wind will whip down through the canyons and hit that lake, and a squall will hit, and it'll be deadly, and it happened to them. Jesus is in the stern of the boat on a mat, and he's asleep. He's so exhausted that, that it's not bothering him that the boat is being capsized. And finally, his guys say to him, teacher, are we to drown for all you care? Rude. They just said to the Son of God, to the Creator, well, you don't care? You got no control? As I sat there at my table holding a foreclosure notice because my mortgage had not been paid, I said, don't you care? I'm going under. Don't you care that my house is being foreclosed? I got two kids. Don't you care? Don't you care that my credit will be ruined for years to come? Don't you care that this testimony that I've given about you will be ruined because you didn't take care of me? See, I'm trying to manipulate him now. Shame, shame, shame on you. What I needed to do is be transformed to understand and to see, to, to recognize what they didn't recognize back then and I didn't recognize at that moment, to recognize his power at work. The scripture says that Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. How often we've been rude to Jesus because we don't recognize the power that's there already. Often we blame God because we've interpreted him as being tardy to the event because he doesn't care when in reality it's because of our own immaturity. That immaturity creates a fear, a fear that we have of the uncertainty of what we do no longer have control of. And our fear can derail upcoming miracles. Jesus questions their faith. He said, don't you have faith? Don't you believe that I can save you from this? You've watched the miracles around that I've already done. Don't you see my glory? Don't you understand that I can take care of you here and now? They should have already solidified their faith in him. They should have already had a, cert a certainty inside of them that he had control even when he's asleep. Do you ever feel like when you pray to God, he's asleep? You're in a storm and, and he's snoozing, but he's still in control. He said, let me show you. And he said to the wind, stop. And to the waves, he said, calm down. And they did. Transformation is the intent of the miracle. The miracle is to transform us so that we recognize always his presence, his power, who he is, even when there is no miracle. 
And you say, how do I do that? How, how do I get to the place? Well, you, you got to do this. You got to push further into him when you don't understand him. You've got to push further into him when you're saying, where are you? You've got to push further. So did you get to the place that Paul the Apostle got to when he wrote to the church in Colossae and said, and he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And no matter what happens to me, I know that. So there are those moments when you feel like you need a miracle and they're not showing up. And what, you, what we've got to do is we've got to say, all right, Jesus, I'm reading about all these things that you did in your scripture, and I'm saying you're that same one. You are still that same one. So I'm declaring that that is true, and I'm declaring it in this situation that you are still that same one. And you did these miracles that I saw you do before. You changed my life. And if you change my life, you can change the circumstance. And so we read it and we declare it and then repeat. Repeat it and declare it. And read it and declare it, study it, declare it, declare it, declare it, declare it. Say, this is truth. This is who you are, though I don't see it with my eyes. I declare it is still true because even if you're asleep, you are still in control. So, yeah, and and let me tell you, it's a whole lot easier to sit here and go, yeah. And I'm sitting here holding a foreclosure notice going, what's wrong with you? So Pam and I decided we'd start doing it, so we started declaring it. He said, okay, here's, here's who you are. Here's who you are. i got to believe that's true. And, and, and it took me back. I had to go all the way back and, and, and come to the conclusion that I really believed that the scriptures were true. Because if I'm going to put my life on those scriptures, i got to know that that's real. That's real stuff. And so I had to study it for myself. I didn't care what any preacher said. I had to study it and know that. And so we began to declare, all right, you, you've got this. You've got this. No matter what, you've got this. And even though I've got the second foreclosure notice, you got this. One morning, we awakened, and I, I should tell you that in, in those weeks that followed, we put the house up for sale because we couldn't afford it, and we didn't know where the future was going to be, and, and I needed a new job, and we put, put resumes out for a new job, and nothing's happening. Nothing is happening. And we awakened one morning, and we both felt like God had just spoken to us. It was amazing. I said, Pam, I just had this feeling. She said, I just got the same thing. And we felt like God said, pray today that I sell your house. I said, okay. And sure enough, that day, we got an offer that, that we accepted. So that's great. We have a house sold. We don't know where we're going or what we're doing, but we got a house sold. We contacted the bank. The bank said, we'll stop the foreclosure proceedings. I said, okay, at least that's off us for a while. I don't have a job. Shortly thereafter, some guy that I didn't know, and I didn't know he knew me, was coming through town, and I got a phone call. He said, I've got a, I've got a church up in Salem, Oregon, and, and, and I need somebody to do this thing, and can I talk to you about it? And I'm in a church of two to 300 people. This church is 1,500 to 2,000, and how do they even know who I am? But somehow, God whispered my name, and we show up, we have an interview, and he says, I'm going to take you up to Salem with me, and, and I want to interview you there, and, and you meet the, the board there. And, and so we flew up, and, and he said, no, we'll get a hold of you and let you know. And you ever been to a job interview, and you think it went well, and nobody calls? I hate that. And so now the house is going to sell. And I got nowhere to go. And so it's going to sell. We have to be out of the house on Friday. We're starting to pack up already. And it's like Monday. And we don't know where we're going. We can probably box up our stuff, take it and pile it in my parents' garage. But what are we going to do? But we kept declaring, this is who you are. 
because we're going to abide in your glory that we already know. We're going to stay there because you were true then, you are true forever, and I don't see it happening, but I'm going to call what I don't see as though it already is. So there we are. And, and this is not something to trick God. This is, this is me working through my emotions and, and what I think the Scripture says. Because you, you can't formula God. You can't do that. And I'm sorry, you can't confess your way to faith. You get faith, then you confess it. So we're going through this thing, and we got to be out by, by Friday. Wednesday, I got a call from Salem, Oregon. They say, hey, we want you. Thank you. When can you be there? Next week. All right, well, we'll, we'll look for you next week. Great. Now we're going to leave, and we're going to move to Salem, Oregon. I've got to leave on Friday. And so I contact, this happens on Wednesday night. I call Thursday morning. I say, I've got to have somebody pick up my stuff on Friday. We call the mover. The mover starts laughing. He said, do you know this is Labor Day weekend, and there are no trucks available for anybody? I said, oh, Great. Oh, God, you are the God who moves things. <laughs> if you can move a stone, you can move my furniture. <laughs> they call me back that day. And the mover guy says, I don't understand this, but we found a truck that's deadheading it to, to Oregon, and they got nothing in their truck. <laughs> he said, can we be there Friday? I said, yes, you can be there Friday. He said, where are we taking it? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know where you're going to end up. Just head for Salem. All right, one, we'll be there in about six or seven days. All right, so they came and got it. And so then we said, where are we going to live? And so Pam's sister lived not too far from Salem, Oregon. And so she called her and said, go find us a rental. She said, what do you need? We need it like this big and at this amount. And it can't be too far from the church because we only have one car. So Jack's going to walk to work. So it's got to be close enough that he can walk. And the rental market is horrible. So Kathy starts looking, and we start praying, God, you got to do this. One hour before the truck showed up, Kathy's signing papers to get us into a, a house that had not been for rent until two days before, the exact size and the dollars, and two blocks from the church. You say, you say that's a big deal? You better believe it's a big deal. Same God, same glory. He said, abide in that. There was another one of those moments, and Jesus is in a boat, and the crowds are too big, and he can't get, get on shore, and he's exhausted. So he says, take me over here where I can just be with my father and, and recoup, get my energy back, and get refocused. So they start him across the lake, and these people have a pretty good idea where he's going. So the whole mass of them take off, and they go around the lake, and they beat Jesus to the shore. And when he gets out, there are close to 20,000 people. And Jesus has pity on them because they want miracles. They want healings. And Jesus begins to heal them. Now, they are pretty well in a desolate place. There's small villages around, but there's 20,000 people, and they have no food. And the disciples say, send them out, let them go find food. Well, that's going to be impossible because there are not enough villages or people to be able to take care of 20,000 people. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and says, you guys feed them. Yeah. So they go looking around for what they've got, and they come back with, with five loaves and two fish, and they say, well, here's what we got. 
And so Jesus does this. He said, bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And then he took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. See, saying to the disciples, you give them something to eat, makes it clear that with Jesus' power and compassion in us, we should ask for miracles. So how do we do this? I appreciate the teachings of, of Pastor Bill Johnson, and, and he has this great teaching that reminds us that there's a difference between power and authority. So if we are pushing into Jesus, and, and we see something that's not right, we see something that is, that, that is on earth that is not in heaven, and he said, you pray that, that what's in heaven will be on earth, and you see that, and you have compassion... And you begin to sense that around you that there's this, this God thing happening. He said, move into that God thing, that power, that glory that is there, and ask God to use that power that's already flowing to take care of this situation. So Jesus has been performing miracles, and he turns to them and said, in this sense of miracle and this powerful thing that's happening here, you guys jump in and be part of this thing. Get into it and go with it. Paul and Barnabas were in the city of Lystra. When this happened, in Lister there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul, and as he was speaking, Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet, and at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Paul says, the power's moving. I see it. I, I sense it. It's already there. And so he moves into that and says, the faith's already there. The power is there. Go for it. It can happen. So last week, Pastor Jason was praying over during our worship time, and he sensed that there was this power thing going on. So he began to call out what he sensed that God was telling him was happening in this gathering last week. And he specifically named some things that were happening. He named some things happening in some, some in a person's back, and, and we know that there was one lady here who was having back issues, and the moment he prayed, it stopped. And this week, we received this email. Hi, Pastor Jason, just wanted to let you know when you prayed Sunday during the service, the Lord was speaking about healing my kneecap that was out of alignment. One's kneecap not tracking properly is not a common ailment, and my jaw hit the floor when you prophesied specifically about it. I have been pain-free since Monday and continue to do the exercise I'm supposed to do for the maintenance. Bless you for being obedient to giving such a word. Bam, knees in place. And, and we announced it this morning, and someone in our prayer time said, well, that happened also to my relative. Now, I didn't know we're in a season of kneecap straightening, but it happened. So there's this thing that happens that when you are in a place, you begin to sense that there's a power of God. And when you jump in that thing as God's leading, you say, God, do this thing. Yeah, but what happens if you're pressing into God and you are feeling, having compassion, but you sense that there's nothing? And I've had those moments when I'm praying and I feel like nothing's happening and there's nothing there, and then I'm just blabbing words. What do you do? Well, you act with authority. Jesus turns to the disciples and says, you guys do it. And there'll be those moments, even when you don't sense God's power, that you're going to sense that Jesus says to you, you go do this. It's you. Go ahead. Do it. You don't feel a surge of power because you're going to be the beginning of that surge of power. Someone's got to start it. It's going to be you. So outside the temple, there's a crippled man who wanted some money and Peter and John are walking by. 
And they say, we don't have any money, but we have authority. So in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he did, and everything went viral. Place went crazy. He started jumping up and down, and then words spread like crazy. And there was a power move. But what they didn't do is say, hey, let's start a healing ministry. We'll get a tent and we'll travel. No, what they said was, you want to know what's happening here? It's Jesus. Put your faith in him. And a bunch of people did. So why not here? Why not now? Because this is all about Jesus. So let's ask him for miracles. So what we're going to do this morning, as we continue the service, because it's really, we're not concluding with what I'm saying. We're going to go into asking him for miracles. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up, and I'm going to invite our elders and our council members and the staff that's available and, and their spouses to come and just stand and spread them all the way across here. Come on now. And they're going to face you. That's it. Also, some of our prayer team, I think, are going to come too, so join us. There you go. So in just a moment, we're going to ask the band to begin to start playing, and they're not going to sing, they're just going to play. And I truly believe that in music and instrumental music, there can be this prophetic move that even brings healing while they play. And so they're going to do that. And I'm going to invite you in just a moment that if you need a miracle, you come and have some of these folks pray for you and pray that you have a miracle. Why not? Why not? These signs shall follow them who believe. They shall lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And so we're going to ask you to come and they're going to pray for you. And, and I don't know how many are going to be here. And so if it gets crowded, just wait your turn and take some time because it's better that you have your miracle than you make it to Eaton Park. So you'll be good. And in just a moment, as I invite you to do that, I'll invite you that, need, that you said you need to go. You, you can go. And you say, but I don't even really know much about Jesus. Then come up and talk to one of these folks and they'll help you understand how to have faith in Jesus. They'll pray with you that, that you can begin that journey today because it is a journey. So it's time. It's time for us to, to feel his power. It's time for us to, to abide in his glory. That there is a present awareness of an otherworldly power that is out of our control and sometimes it gets so, so out of our control, we fear it, but yet we crave it, and we say we want to be in the middle of it. And this morning, we're inviting you to be in the middle of it. So will you stand? And I'm going to pray over you, and as I do, then you're invited to come and just have these folks pray for you. Tell them all you want them to know about your miracle, and they're going to pray with you until they're done praying, and then, we'll, then the next person can come. And I'm going to invite you to remain standing for a few moments so those who want to get out can do so. And if you have to go, please do it reverently. And let's not have a whole lot of discussion in here. You can talk out in the lobby. But I want this place as a sacred place of miracles today. You good with that? Three of you are good with that. The rest of you are all right? Okay. All right. So now, Lord Jesus, we just simply pray because you are who you are and that we are your followers and that we have faith in you, that you'll perform miracles today. 
We pray that as, as people are asking you for everything from, from healing to finances, to relationships that are, need to be mended, to forgiveness of sins, to depression gone, to, to old memories erased, we pray that we will see that happen in this place simply because we ask. Your anointing is here. For you said you've given us authority to function in this realm and divine ability to accomplish it. And so we give you thanks that it's not about how we say it or how loud or, or soft we say it. It's just about you. Jesus, it's you. And we give you praise and we give you thanks. We seal all that is now transpiring in the mighty name that is above every name. That every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord of everything. We give you thanks. Amen. Now, we invite you to come and be prayed for. Continue to worship with us. If you have to go, please do it quietly. God's blessings be on you.